Good morning, 4th Avenue. Oh my, holy, holy, holy. Through every high and through every low, you never let go of me. I mean, these are powerful songs we've been singing this morning. I bring you greetings from the shepherds. You've heard from a couple of them this morning already. I'm a third. We, this morning, very much are concerned about your spiritual welfare in the midst of a culture and an environment that is trying very hard to distract your attention away from who you are as a Christian. And as someone who believes in the power of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work in this world. And we, this morning, are very much, you are on our minds as shepherds. We've been praying for you in the midst of this time. So I want to take some time to direct your minds toward your relationship with God by asking you to reflect on the concept that God spoke to his people through his chosen servants, prophets, apostles, and through a series of written letters that were shared among them over a period of 1,500 or so years. You know, we rarely talk about understanding letters when we think about understanding the Bible. And I think we might be missing something important if we fail to think about it. Now, we can't any longer assume that our young people uh, have received an actual physical letter in the mail. Uh, They're off at a retreat this morning, I know, and I could somewhat satirically say to them to to, uh, understand that a letter is a form of communication that existed prior to email and texting in all manner of social media that now dominates our communication today. And I realize that to them, that would be considered rather old school. But once upon a time, you would actually write a letter, put it on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, uh, put a stamp on it. And yes, the stamp would cost real money. And you would put it in a mailbox or a post office to be delivered to your intended recipient. It would then arrive some days later, usually a few days, but could be a week, sometimes longer. Sometimes it would depend upon the weight of the letter, and it would also be determined by how much postage you would pay. But I digress with all of that. A long time ago, say a few thousand years ago, there was no post office. So letters were sent via travelers who would agree to carry the mail along with them on their journey. And it would take a lot longer to get to the intended recipient. In fact, it could be weeks, it could be months before it arrived. It might never get there at all if it was a particularly perilous journey. Now, in most tribal communities, once a letter was received, word spread about it really quickly because it was a big deal to receive communication from the outside. It's hard for us to imagine that the arrival of a letter could be a community event, but it was. Receiving communication from the outside world was a big deal to them. Uh, That's totally lost on us in our culture today because we have global information at our fingertips. Today, news spreads faster through social media than it does through even regular news outlets. Back then, in a tribal community or a large extended family or a communal circumstance, 
receiving communication from a long distance away was considered to be a major happening, and word spread quickly, and everyone would get excited to gather together to hear the out loud reading of the letter by someone who knew how to read. And yes, it would be read even if it was personal. Uh, you might be able to conceal the most personal elements, but you were expected to share everything else, especially if it contained any kind of news about any happenings elsewhere that was in, in the world. I want to suggest that our not understanding this dynamic as we approach the letters of the Bible contributes to a form of reality distortion in our understanding of how to read and how to treat it. You see, there's much evidence in the Bible that the authors understood the communities that they were writing to. They understood how these letters would be received and how they would be shared. And today, we all too often get caught up in the meticulous examination of these letters and we parse every word and every syllable in ways that the original audience didn't have opportunity to do, especially those who didn't know how to read. The communities that heard these letters around, uh, read aloud didn't have multiple copies with red-letter editions and multiple translations and ten sets of commentaries and a biblical concordance and an atlas and a Bible dictionary and a side-by-side -side Greek, Hebrew, and English translinear presentation and hundreds of internet sites telling them and advising them on how to think about the implied minutia that is contained within the letter that they were receiving. And I'm fearful as well-intended as all of these things are, and I'm not mocking them. They contribute to a form of reality distortion. No, instead, they listened to the reading in community, and they launched into immediate discussion with each other about what they just heard and what the message was and how meaningful it was to them in their context. And this is especially true if the letter was only one side of the conversation. And you and your community, as the recipients, were the other side of the, of the communication and the conversation, and you were already familiar with the topics that were being discussed within the letter. Perhaps the biggest challenge we face in trying to understand these letters is understanding the dynamics occurring between the authors and the recipients. Another tradition that existed 2,000 years ago and that it still exists today, especially in social contexts, is that when you receive a letter, there's some expectation that you would write back to the sender. Now, we understand that we're not the original recipients of these letters and that you can't write back to Moses or to David or to Paul, or to Peter, or to John. But I wonder something this morning. I wonder, have you ever considered about writing a letter to God? Seriously. Some people do this. Maybe some of you have actually done this. It's a serious endeavor. Because to do this, you have to sit down, you have to tell everything around you to be quiet, and you have to organize your thoughts and articulate them in writing. And that takes work, and it takes time and commitment. 
Some people might say that, oh, I, I, I prefer to pray instead, saying that one should pray from the heart. And that's a good thing, and I certainly would never be critical of that. However, so many of us use what we think of and conceptualize as prayer as a shortcut to communicating with God, and we pray off the cuff without putting much work into it, and we kind of get lazy, and subsequently we don't reach much depth with God in our prayers. Now, I'm not saying that in order to be truly critical or anything like that, because I I don't consider myself to be that good at prayer. But rather, I'm speaking to an aspect of our human nature. Brother Albert Lemons could probably explain to, to provide further explanation to the things in our lives that are obstacles to us reaching much depth with God in our prayers. But we need not allow such things to become excuses. There are different ways to approach this. It it could be something that we write up in a letter. It could be a poem. It could be a song, and we sung some great songs this morning that were written as prayers to God. Regardless, writing to God takes work, especially if you want to reach much depth in that work. David, Take David's prayers, for example. David, a man after God's own heart, He reached tremendous depth in his prayers. And now we we now have access and can read the the depth of those prayers in the Psalms. Consider the work that he put into that. You might be blown away by the depth of thought that is represented there. And if what would happen if we were all to do that? How much different might our personal and collective relationship with God be if we reach that kind of depth with him? So consider with me for a while what it might be like to follow in the pattern of David and to write a letter or a song or a series of letters or songs to God. I wonder this morning, what would you say in those letters? I wonder what such letters would reveal about what's in your mind and what's in your heart. I wonder what level of depth and authenticity that would be attained with God. And then if you would, I want you to take one additional step with me, just one more step, and I want to ask you to consider what it might be like to open God's mail. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. What might we learn about ourselves if we could look upon the narrative that exists between humans and God? What might we come to understand about the human experience? Consider the humor, the joy, the sadness, the doubt, the questions, and the experience that could be revealed in such communication. Letters from children in particular, can be especially interesting because with children, well, you never really know what to expect, and you often get raw simplicity and authenticity with what comes out of a child's mouth. So let's start with a letter from a young boy, perhaps still learning how to write a letter, especially one addressed to God, but we'll give it a try. Dear God, thank you for mommy Thank you for daddy. 
Thank you for our homes and our clothes and our food. Thank you for making the trees and the rain and the sun and the moon and the stars. Mommy says I need to thank you for my sisters too. That's hard. They think I'm annoying, but they annoy me. My Bible class on Sunday was about Genesis, and my teacher says that you made girls. I don't really understand why you made girls. You must have thought Adam needed girls. He must have been really lonely. I think I'm more like Joseph. My teacher says that when girls annoyed Joseph, he ran away. I think that's good advice. Thank you for making me a fast runner. It's very hard to fault the innocence of our young. Sometimes our journey on this earth takes us through unexpected turns and things don't turn out exactly as anticipated. Sometimes the destination we end up at is filled with its own joy but it's still a different destination than the one that we originally set out toward. And such is often the case with families of children with special needs. Consider a prayer from a child with special needs. Dear God, I know that I'm really different than other children. I don't fit in like normal kids. I don't really understand why you made me different, but I'm thankful that you accept and love me for who I am. Still, sometimes I get sad. And when I get sad, I think of this song, and the words go like this. I may not be every mother's dream for her little girl. And my face may not grace the minds of everyone in the world. But that's all right as long as I can have one wish I pray. When people look inside my life, I want to hear them say, she has her father's eyes. It seems to me that as we grow older, we forget just how challenging being young can be and just how difficult growing up in this world can be. Young people are filled with a culture of ambiguity and uncertainty. When you're a teenager, especially, it can be difficult trying to interpret circumstances around you. That can be a difficult thing. Consider a letter from a teenager who's trying to navigate his relationship with his parents while still trying to face the social world around him. Dear God... My youth minister quotes this verse often. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. God, though they may doubt this, I do try to honor my parents, but our relationship is difficult and I am confused. Mom frequently gets frustrated with me and tells me that I am just like her father. Dad rolls his eyes at me and says that I must get it from my mother. I am not sure what it is. I haven't figured that out yet. 
I'm also not sure which one of them is right. No matter how angry they appear to be with me, when they look at me, they seem to see each other. I can only conclude that I must be honoring them both. <laughs> In reality, I'm not sure they understand me. Sometimes I just want to escape. This Saturday night, I have my first date. My parents seem to be really nervous about this. But I'm so excited. I'm also very nervous. Help me not to blow it. P.S. I finally think I figured out why you made girls. Thank you. <laughs> it's true that God designed the human experience to be filled with many marvelous experiences and discoveries, and finding love is certainly one of those. Regardless of one's circumstances in life, we all desire happiness. However, attainment of lasting joy is something that takes work, and it takes dedication, and it takes commitment. And this is the reason why God uh, instructed us and taught us to take covenants so seriously. Consider a letter from a bride. Dear God, I cannot put into words the joy that I feel inside. Today I'm going to stand in front of you and friends and family and promise to spend the rest of my life loving and honoring this man that you gave to me. It's a big promise, but one I know I will keep. We will laugh together. When he is feeling weak, I will be strong. When he's feeling pain, I will comfort him. When he's feeling sadness, I will be his joy. Thanking, thank you for giving me such a one to love unconditionally and to be loved unconditionally in return. This love is about trust and responsibility and owning my choices and commitments and spending the rest of my life living up to them and above all, serving and not hurting the object of my love. Please help me to never disappoint and please bless the journey we're about to embark upon. Of course, we understand and know that not all dreams in life are realized. Life comes with joys and it comes with disappointments. There are forks in the road and most of the time we don't know what the condition of the road is going to be or what the perils will be that will exist ahead of us. The human experience is comprised of the highest highs and the lowest lows as it did with David. Many letters or prayers expressing these highs and lows come in the form of songs. We sang one of them this morning. We have many songs that we sing today that are written as prayers, and some of these songs express a range of human emotions and experiences. Sometimes these include expressions of profound sadness, such as the case with one who loses someone who's close to them. David experienced such great joy in his life, but he also experienced profound grief when he lost his son because of his sin. Being lost in his sorrow, he cried out, How long, Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? Sometimes, when someone loses another who's close to them, people have great trouble knowing what to say. Often people mistakenly make comments such as, oh, it's, it's God's will. It's all part of God's plan. 
And as well-intended as those comments may be, they fail to allow space for the grieving one to navigate their feelings and to express to God that if this is his plan, then I simply don't agree. Or at the very least, we have questions that our soul aches to find the answers to. And that there's nothing okay about death. There's nothing okay about suffering. There's nothing okay uh, about the fallen nature of mankind. And no matter how many times you say it, it's not okay. And we need space to be able to share that feeling with God. Sometimes our grief or our anger is so heavy that we can't bring ourselves to speak directly to God, so instead we speak around him. I want to say that's all right. He gets it. So it is with the excerpts of a song written about such grief and anger. I didn't know today would be our last or that I'd have to say goodbye to you so fast. I'm so numb, I can't feel anymore. Praying you'd just walk back through that door. It's not my place to question. Only God knows why. I'm just jealous of the angels around the throne tonight. You always made my troubles feel so small, and you were always there to catch me when I'd fall. In a world where heroes come and go, well, God just took the only one I know. So I'll hold you as close as I can, longing for the day when I see your face again. But until then, God must need another angel around the throne tonight. Now, there are those who would suggest that we should suppress any anger that we may feel and most certainly don't let God know how angry we are. But I want to suggest to you that a careful study of the letters of the Bible helps us know that God hears and understands our grief and our anger such as he did with his servant Job. Job said, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales. And yet we learn from Job and even the death of God's own son, and from our own experiences, that out of despair and suffering can spring new life and redemption. And for this, we give thanks to God. It's all part of who we are. Consider a letter from a father of a newborn child. Dear God, today you have showered us with a blessing like nothing we've ever experienced before. When I held her in my arms, a wave of inexplicable joy came over me. I also felt a weight of responsibility unlike anything I've ever experienced. I hope I'm not being selfish by saying that I'll do anything to provide whatever she needs in life and to do whatever it takes to protect her from harm. As you instructed your people, Help me to impress your ways on her heart. I will tell her about you. When we are at home, when we are traveling, when it's time to go to sleep at night, and when we get up, my faith in you will always be apparent to her, and my home will always serve you. Help me to show her the path to you, dear Father. 
and be forever near her. Can you see that talking with God about these most intimate moments in our lives creates a level of relationship that cannot be attained through any other form of superficial communication? And I worry about the superficial communication that goes on in our world today. We need to transcend that. It forces us to confront our, most, our innermost feelings and construct and articulate our thoughts and to also consider the thoughts that need to be kept and those that need to be discarded. Just because you have a thought, it doesn't mean that you're going to keep it. Sometimes the process of doing this can become a wrestling match within ourselves or with others, often without their even knowing that they're part of the dialogue. And sometimes we invite God into our struggle. Consider a letter from someone who is on the fringe within our community. Dear God, I'm in the middle of a crowd, but I feel so alone. I see people look my way, and they act like they don't see me, as if I'm not there. Some people do see me. I know they see me, and then they look away. I've heard people refer to me as marginalized. Is that word a noun? I think it might be a verb. It seems to me that marginalization is what people do to other people. I struggle so much with those who feel the need to lift themselves up by demeaning others and looking at them as if they are somehow lesser. Dear God, help me with my struggle. The human experience comes with an array of life events and transitions. And it's interesting to know how a single event, sometimes a, just a single moment in time, can be filled with tremendous joy and accomplishment and confusion and frustration and sadness all wrapped up into one. Communicating that to God can be quite challenging. Consider a letter of a mother dropping her child off at the university for the first time. Dear God, who created such a crazy system as this? I have loved her, raised her, protected her her whole life, and now I'm expected to just drop her off and drive away. Are they kidding? Oh, God. But I look at her excitement as she begins the next stage of her journey. I see the eagerness in her eyes and the desire to conquer the world. I've taken every opportunity to teach her everything I can. I've tried to be a good parent. But in looking back, I realize now just how much she taught me. She has your spirit, and because of that, I learned about love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. She taught me all of it. For the longest time, I thought I was raising her, but I know I'm a better person because of her. Lord, I'm so proud of her. I give her to your care, protect her, surround her with friends who will strengthen her and build her up, help her to follow her passion and to attain her dreams, 
Help her to learn and to be, in, be the change that she so desires for this world. Most of all, help her to remember where home is. Mothers, of course, are very protective of their young, and rightfully so. Fathers, however, can also be quite protective. And there's no other human experience quite like that of asking a father to give his daughter's hand away in marriage. And dad's letters may not be quite so polished as mom's might be. Dear God, I am not wired to deal well with the emotions that I've got swirling inside of me now. I don't even know how to put this into words. On the one hand, I am so proud of the woman that she has grown to be. What a gift she has been to her mother and I. On the other hand, and forgive me for even thinking this, but I just might kill this young man if any harm comes to her at all. I've cleaned my gun just in case and the pickup is ready to go. Now, forgive me. I know she chose well. He's a fine young man and, and they're ready. But dear God, how do I get ready to let go of her? How does anyone let go of someone they love so dearly? How did you let go of your son? I cannot fathom what it took. She'll always be my little girl. Please watch over her. Oh, the range of emotions here. So many letters that are to be written to God. Letters from those who struggle with doubt. Letters from veterans who uh, have sacrificed much and now they struggle to find their way. Letters from those who have lost their jobs and who are unsure of how to support their families. Letters from the faithful who are fleeing war-torn countries and who live with profound uncertainty. Letters from joyful youth, young people who are graduating, who are moving on into the next stage of their journey. Letters from those who suffer with depression and mental illness, who are struggling with thoughts of taking their own life. Letters from those who struggle with addiction. Letters from those who struggle with racism. Letters from those who are trying to survive a divorce. Letters from those who have terminal illness and are trying to remain strong for those that they love around them. There are so many letters to be written. The only question before us is, will we bring them to our God? And will we bring them to him before our journey's end? Ultimately, we all know that our journey here will end. And we will face, or, or we all wish to face that moment, I should say, with grace and with dignity, although we know that God made us no such promises. Consider a letter from someone who knows the, that that moment of their life is approaching. Dear God, there are so many who spend their entire lives fearful of the moment that approaches me. Perhaps at times in my life, I have been one of them. However, for the first time, I think I might be understanding the scripture that says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Lord, my whole life I've been mindful of you and you have guided me and even now when I am old you have not left me. 
To this day I tell the young about your goodness. All that is my life stands as a testimony to your goodness. My children, my grandchildren, they're a blessing to me beyond measure. What more could I possibly contribute that could be of any value? My grandchild asked me today if I am afraid. I think there was a time I might have said yes. But now, better than at any time of my life, I understand the words of the great apostle who said, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. I eagerly place myself in your hands. Please comfort those around, the, around me and, and guard them from grieving, but rather fill them with the hope that I have found in you. You see, whatever station in life we find ourselves in, there is a powerful letter or poem or song to be written to God. You've taken time this Sunday morning to come here, and I encourage you now to put more than just this hour in, but I encourage you to also put time into communicating to God on your own. What would your letter to God look like this morning? What would be in it? It's okay to express joy, happiness, sadness, grief, doubt, questions, or even anger and disagreement. God's not going to be surprised by any of it. You're not going to take him by surprise here. His shoulders are big enough to hear all of it, and you do not need to feel guilty about sharing any of it with him. It, he covets the relationship regardless of the joy or the pain involved, as long as it is spoken in truth. And as you consider your relationship with God, consider also the depth and the authenticity of your prayers, your songs, your letters, and you may be amazed at the level of depth and truth that you reach with your God. And you may find that that might directly correlate with your relationship with him as well. I'm going to invite Mark, if he would, to bring his team back to the stage. And as, <clears throat> as he does so, I'm going to leave you with some excerpts of a song. Surprising, surprising. And I need to take this with me. I don't know. It works for me. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, what a transition that was. The words go like this, and then we'll let Mark and his team take over. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control, and in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. And when the tears of pain and heartache are falling down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. 
In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. What does your letter say?